This reminds me a little bit of a concert. You see people rushing the door right at the time. <laughs> Suddenly there's this big influx of people. It's so beautiful. <clears throat> take just a moment as people arrive. It's also, I think, a confusing time for many of us because of the time change. On the mainland US, it doesn't change out here. So it's 7.30 in the morning here, but it's a different time that it changes in, in England or Europe. So, but I see people are working it out to be here. So let's uh, spend a few minutes enjoying our silence and stillness of, of sitting together.
as we share the verse of the robe, which is what we traditionally chant um, after our sitting, uh, today, um, allow yourself to uh, hear the, the phrase, wearing the universal teaching, wearing the universal teaching. Okay. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching. I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. I'm glad to see that so many people are here because I, I thought maybe more people would be caught in the time zone shifts, but it's, it's wonderful to see you. The reason I, I I thought to emphasize just as we were chanting the wearing the universal teaching, because I, I want to extend a bit of what I've been speaking about as a, a theme, um, and I'll get back to that in just a little bit, um, about what it means to live the teachings as something that you get in your bones, uh, that you, you wear them. Uh, as a way of uh, expressing who you are. You know, this this inquiry process that we do, inquiry, as you know, it means to investigate deeply, to search for a fuller understanding of something. And you also know that one of my favorite tools for inquiry is um, poetry. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an investigative tool uh, because it opens us to something um, usually beyond the ordinary, things that are difficult to say in words. It points to things that open more fully uh, through the use of skillful language. And um, the traditional Zen forms that we use in training come from um, monastic practices, very different than, uh, than poetry in some ways. But it's the background of our ancestors, and Peg and I did participate in these more traditional kinds of uh, trainings as our part of our practice path. Um, but it's not something that most of us will do. And it's not the path we offer because most of us, most of you, I think, are simply not interested, really, or unable, even if you are, to leave your, uh, your homes and your work and your families. Uh, you wouldn't want to, to participate in that kind of training. Yet, the, the background of the forms that came to us um, inform our practice as it's expressed in our daily life and in a community life and in the contemporary life um, of our families. And like the prompts that I gave you a couple of weeks ago about 
living a life of gratitude using the teachings. And I gave you quite a number of visuals um, around the life and death of Steve Stuckey, the former abbot at San Francisco Zen Center. And when I did that, I made a point to say, this isn't about Steve and it isn't just about his death. I'm using that as a way to bring forward uh, some really essential teachings. And today's reflection is, is uh, in a similar, offered in a similar way. Because the teachings aren't about the source, but the source is a lived example of what I want to want to talk about. And it becomes alive, I think, in that way. And I'm going to share some things, so I may be a little clumsy. I'll do my best online here. Um, I know this isn't a fancy formal presentation. You'll allow me to stumble through a little bit. Uh, today's uh, teachings I drew from, because I was so inspired by, uh, a recent podcast. Some of you may have seen, actually, or heard. Uh, it's a podcast, What a Poetic Mind Can Teach Us About How to Live. And it was recorded on uh, March 3rd, th this month, on the Ezra Klein Show out of the New York Times. So this is, in some ways, a tribute to and a little sampling. I'm just going to take 10 minutes and sample it of an hour and a half or more podcast of the teachings of um, Jane Hirschfield, a wonderful poet. And her teachings that arose in the interview, um, you, you think about it, we study sutras, we study sacred texts, uh, we call for the teachings of great masters from the past, from many, many different traditions. And we chant uh, some liturgy like we just did and poetry from our ancestors in China and Japan. So why is a podcast any different? It's just another source. It's a contemporary uh, source. Uh, the koans that we study from especially ancient China, they were just, koan means a public case. And here we have a public case from the New York Times podcast. And these old ones were recorded because they were examples of interactions that were instructive and transformational. And this is another one. So this is a new way that teachings are arriving, just like I, I think last week or the week before I mentioned receiving an email right before I was going to speak and a teaching came that I was just the right thing, you know. So uh, these teachings are uh, in the interview with Jane Hirschfield, and uh, there's a uh, a quote from the beginning of the the podcast in which she says, "Poetry is the attempt to understand fully what is real, what is present, and what is imaginable, what is feelable." And how can I loosen the grip of what I already know? to find some new changed relationship. Now that sentence sounds a lot like Zen practice, doesn't it? You could say our meditation or our Zen practice, our awakening together practice is an attempt to understand fully what's real, what's present, what's imaginable, what's feelable. And then the question, uh, how can I loosen the grip of what I already know? That's the beginner's mind to find some new changed relationship. How can I awaken more deeply? Through poetry, she says, I know something new and I've been changed. Inquiry into new knowledge, 
transformational aspect of practice. So that's really the, the teaching. Um, and at one point, uh, the interviewer asked her to read uh, a very brief poem, very short. The title of it is A Cedary, like cedar, a cedary fragrance, uh, which I'm gonna read in just a moment. Uh, but the reason I, I introduce it in this way because the poem opened like a flood of memory and emotion for me. And the conversation that was happening on the podcast helped me see this lived example of what true practice offers us, what inquiry is about. So here's the brief poem. I'll also, she's going to read it too in a moment. You'll hear it, but a cedary fragrance. And as you hear the poem, imagine this little altar behind me with incense. Even now, decades later, I wash my face with cold water, not for discipline, nor memory, nor the icy awakening slap, but to practice choosing to make the unwanted wanted. To practice choosing to make the unwanted wanted. So this, this poem, which is um, a reflection on her, her training, actually, is at one level certainly about memory, embodied memory. But the reason it struck me, and this is just personal, I know, but it, it's my entry point. It's a memory she and I share, since we both trained in the same temples, well, some of the same temples, uh, teachers, sorry. In fact, at Blanche Hartman's funeral, my, my ordination teacher, my root teacher, she wrote a poem for Blanche for the memorial service. And she spoke about Blanche and her husband, Lou, both of whom I knew well, of course, as her Zen godparents. So we share the same Dharma family. And in very precise and brief and personal language, which I'm going to share, she sums up and describes what it's like to engage in Zen training and what this kind of training does to a person. And this is the kind of thing that's hard to convey. And, and she says, and rightly so, that it can be really problematic to talk about it this way. So that's the warning on the label here. But her words and the feeling of her telling of even a little of her story so resonated with my own that I wanted to share some of it with you, not, not just for nostalgia, but for encouragement and to continue to be clear about what we're up to in this practice, what, we're, what we've inherited in this lineage and how we express it in inquiry. Because this is what makes this practice what it is and it makes us who we are as we embody it. So once again, I'm going to just sample a little 10 minute piece, uh, which I'll pause here and there. Um, so just listen to this first, uh, first bit. Can you read for me your poem, A Cedary Fragrance? Mm. A cedary fragrance. Even now, decades after, I wash my face with cold water. Not for discipline, nor memory, 
nor the icy awakening slap, but to practice choosing to make the unwanted wanted. That's a strong line, isn't it? Learning to choose to make the unwanted wanted. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke about cooperating with the inevitable and the gratitude that comes from that, learning to say yes, making our best effort in each moment. To, as, as DeWitt said, I spoke about this at some length, to celebrate what's right, not as a way to avoid anything, but to be nourished by the life that's around us and to see it through eyes that are clearer and more open uh, in some ways more generous even as we receive the world so these are recent themes which which go deeper so you can hear her echoing some of what steve stuckey was uh, expressing as he was dying and again, like him, it's easy to hear what she says, even with her disclaimers being so clear. You can hear it as being harsh or even masochistic, but that's so far from the truth within the context of wholesome training. And as she says, this is what we face in our lives anyway. So notice whatever reactions you might have, whether they um, bring forward a contraction or a longing. Just notice how things move as you, as you listen further. What kind of person, he asked, were you that would make such a choice? <clears throat> what kind of person are you that makes the choice to engage in this practice? Who are we when we make this uh, choice to practice in our daily lives or even train in a formal way like she might? Well, what does it mean to be a human being, to be a person? She's asking these fundamental questions. Um, and she makes it really clear it's not a practice for everyone. It was the way she was made, the way I was made, why I was drawn to it. But she makes it clear that this is only useful if it, um, if it influences our daily life and the lives of other people in a different way. What does it mean to be a human being? She, she makes kind of a nice list. She says to learn how to pay attention, to learn how to not be afraid of discomfort not be averse to being tired or cold or hot, or at least not to let that dissuade you from living your life fully, to follow a schedule rather than just your preferences. Waking up in the morning, not thinking about whether you want to get up or not, you hear the bell, you stand up. So this is, remember, this is not a suggestion that you should live your life this way. This is a way of training. So when you leave the training, when you leave the temple, when you step out of the zendo, when you come away from the monastery, you're just an ordinary person like everybody else, living your life in ways that are informed by your training and your everyday practice with other people. But that shows. And she says, you know, when I first went, I thought it would stay a few weeks. Who I had no idea it would stay for eight years. I had no idea in 1994 that I would end up here, you know, only 30 years later. It begins to say something. It was so basically human. 
it it reminds me so much of actually conversations that you know I've talked about my buddies Sewit and, and Peter that we we get together each week and as we sat together this week we spoke about the what it's like to be here and not so separated from nature from there's a challenge to it and there's the beauty of it and you work with all the parts of you that come up she said in response to this this is our practice and then she said it gives us a set of tools it changes us internally it doesn't give you a technique it changes you so that you're willing to give yourself over to an experience which is fundamentally tuned towards attending to what is and making the periphery and boundary of the self a little less important so it is you but it also isn't you it's a schedule that's been in place for 2500 years and then she asked the really important question does this say anything <laughs> about any of this you know we chant and we will at the end caught in the self-centered dream only suffering holding to self-centered thoughts exactly the dream and she's speaking of how this is brought back to you over and over and over with each sitting period this is the training to notice to become aware of how we create a life of unnecessary difficulty. And as uh, Io Utende said in, at Appamata this Sunday too, and the frustration that we offer ourselves and other people when we don't attend in this way. The monastery or the training or the cushion in your home, in your own bedroom, or at Appamata or someplace else in the Zendo, uh, the experiences you have are just the experiences of being alive. All the things she listed racing through you. But because you stay on the cushion with some dignity and upright stillness and some willingness, all those years and months of her training and our training and your willingness to continue, um, it matters. These are the qualities of our life. We, we chant each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. And we mean it, being just this moment, compassion's way, just, uh, just a few more moments. No separation between you and the bird. As things come and go. And such a practice and the way she's reflecting on it has meaning only if it extends into our everyday life and how we spend the hours and minutes and seconds of our day if we're lucky enough to be spending them to be engaging them to be living them to learn to make the unwanted wanted not to lie down and just take what life gives us but to cooperate with the inevitable to say yes to life not as passive submission or some masochism to but to work with life as it is to say yes to celebrate what it's like to celebrate the goodness in life and be nourished by it to live with the heart of gratitude and everything that pours through it and to find the joy and humor hopefully in the whole enterprise knowing that practice matters even if it's not going to solve your life you've heard me say so many times practice is maybe not going to make your life more pleasant but it's going to make it possible as we don't have some new fancy experiences, what you have is a different relationship with all experience. And it helps if you don't take yourself too seriously, as you take it all quite seriously. And how does that look? Well, one last poem from her, which I'll read, um, which is a great title. It's, it's titled, Advice to Myself. 
advice to myself. Imagine yourself sitting in front of the screen like you are now. The computer file of which I have no recollection is labeled advice to myself. I click it, click it open, look, scroll further down the screen, which stays backlit and empty. <laughs> Thus, I meet myself again, hopeful and useless, a mystery, precisely as I must have done on August 19th, 2010, 11.08 a.m. I would imagine that that's uh, probably familiar to, uh, in some ways, to many of us. So once again, these things aren't just about her experience or mine. It's not about the monastery. It's about what do these things bring forward when you hear such a beautiful and elegant description of what practice does to us and who and what gets called forward as we do it. And how does this bring forward your questions about your own practice and the transformational qualities that are possible? Uh, for us in our shared practice and inquiry. Uh, please raise your hand and let me uh, meet you around some of these, these things that are uh, important or challenging or things that were irritating or frustrating as you heard, heard this. Uh, I really want to be with you in it. Catherine? I put my hand up and I'm going to cry. <laughs> I put my hand up because afraid choosing to make the unwanted wanted was like a physical something very physical in this right in the pit of my stomach. Yes. Um and and a kind of response of, of teariness and yes that is it that is it I, I can't think of a better way of talking about some of the aspects of my life now than just and practice i was just and thinking about that with you use that phrase yeah and and going from being in a relationship with somebody to being almost like a carer very very slowly and gradually and no, nothing fast nothing dramatic um choosing it yes over and over day after day and it's it's of the nature to be it's like as if it can get into every nook and cranny of you mm -hmm. um, and bring up all the parts that don't want to that don't yeah. want to and i was so pleased that she said that mm -hmm. that it brings up the parts that don't want to care yes that don't want to do it that that, that are irascible mm -hmm. and get cross and fed up and gravelly um But there's something that does want to say yes. And whether you're saying the no or you're saying the yes, if you stay with it, the willingness to stay with it over time, you're transformed by that. 
and the rest of the world feels that transformation in the way you meet it. Yeah. So right now you're your monastery of John and you keep choosing with love and then everything that doesn't feel like love. And that's the training path right now. Yeah. And I feel what's coming now isn't tears, but it's a deep feeling of gratitude. Yes. To have to have been uh, to have been shown <laughs> the mm. way. Yeah. I feel very grateful to you and feel very grateful to everyone who's accompanying me. Yeah. Yes, it's uh I feel the simultaneously the joy of not have been I couldn't keep up with John as he bounded across the fields in Switzerland in the hills even though he was older than me and to now know and to know that we are all changing in those ways and that this is what we practice for exactly and yeah. to have known you all those years and to still have you in my life is a great joy Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you for your teaching today. Thank you for your continued teaching in the Sangha there. We have Sheila. Hi, Sheila. So wonderful to see you and all of you on my screen. Um, I thank you for this teaching and for sharing that podcast. What a wonderful description of her uh, transformation. <laughs> and um, we'll, we'll link the whole thing uh, when we post the podcast so that you can, it's a very long, I just, it's a tiny little bit, 48 minutes in, you know, but yeah, wonderful. Um, I, I have not had um, any sort of formal Zen training, um, except <laughs> what I'm having now at this time in my life. But um, I, it, it evoked a very strong memory of just such love and gratitude. I had the opportunity um, when I married my husband, um, he was a truck driver, over the road truck driver, and um, I went with him for several years um, out in the truck that, and it's where we both discovered um, the, the path of uh, the Buddhist way and did a lot of reading and audiobooks and things like that. So sort of teaching each other. Um, but I think the, the thing that, uh, that was evoked today was, my husband didn't like to drive in the winter. He had been driving for years and um, decided I found a place because I had been to a retreat at a Buddhist center in um, Arkansas in the Ozark Mountains. Um, and I asked the, the woman who, uh, the teacher who uh, established this place. And it's a very rural, very primitive situation, um, similar to what she was describing in the podcast, although we did have electricity. But 
I had been to a retreat there and when he decided he did not want to drive in the winter, I asked her if we, she left in the winters and went to Thailand uh, to a monastery there and was gone for three months. And so her center, her retreat center was closed usually. But um, I asked if we could stay there. It had one heated building where we could stay through the winter. And we, she generously just said, of course, and uh, which was a great teaching for me to begin with that someone would just, she didn't really know us and, but felt our need and um, responded to it so generously. And those, uh, those three months for three consecutive years mm -hmm. were where it really did transform me, not in any sort of formal teaching, but because I had never, I was a, you know, middle-class wasp from, you know, <laughs> small towns, but not urban, but I had never been that in, uh, changed by nature. And, and immersed in, in feeling so much like, I love what she said at the end, where when the, when the bird sang in the morning, she, she was the bird and the bird was her. And that's very much how it began to feel. And I, I'm, I'm just so grateful to have that, it, it, that memory of my early, early training on how to meet every day with just gratitude and and getting lots of things I didn't want <laughs> but learning to want them <laughs> and yeah. um so I just wanted to share that it's it's been a huge part of my uh I think my path and in without it without me knowing then that it was training me for now <laughs> that's how it always goes and, and just one last little note before you go the practice periods at Tassajara in the monastery have a beginning and an end there's the one in the fall and you know how long they are three months <laughs> yes it was perfect I, I had no idea <laughs> thanks Sheila we have Efrat next I'm so happy to see you. Likewise, I kind of felt an urgency to come today, even though it was not in the flow of how it was going. <laughs> um, and I, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I had an inkling about my life in this way, and it just really got given um, almost permission to hold my life uh, this way. Um, just a little background. Um, I, uh, I turned 70 in November and um, I decided that this year I was going to take a sabbatical from my life. Um, I actually left my home, my marriage. Um, I'm, I have a very good relationship with my husband, but I'm not living in my home. I'm sort of actually kind of a nomad. Oh. I, I didn't find like the pad. So it's been interesting. Every time I move with two thirds less. So you know, it's a bit of a training. And in February, I decided since I don't like um, being here in the winter, that I would grant myself three weeks in Israel and two weeks in Morocco with my son. And so 
um, a week before I was to go, um, my daughter, uh, who's been waiting for adoption for three years, received um, a boy, a two-month-old boy. And right away, I said, well, I can't leave. I got to be here. So I said, well, I'll postpone. I'll, I'll just postpone. I'll go a little less time to Israel, but still keep my plan intact. Well, the next day I took my husband to the ER because he had some very worrisome symptoms. And we found out that he has bladder cancer. Oh, no. And then the next day, my son actually shared with me that my granddaughter, my most beloved 14-year-old granddaughter, was harming herself. And she's in a really tight spot. So one by one, my thoughts of moving this, just moving the time of departure just had to be totally given up. And so tomorrow is Ken's surgery. I'm still living in my own place. So I'm going to negotiate being his person mm -hmm. from my sabbatical. Um, but what I realized is I, I think I took my sabbatical way too small. And the universe said, you want a sabbatical, honey? Here's the sabbatical. You know, go for what you don't want. Mm -hmm. Go for, um, and not the baby. The baby has been unbelievable and really reminds me of what it is that I do want and I want to stick around for. Yeah. But there's been a lot of not want, um, like being stuck here in winter and 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 the great fear I have, I am not good at caregiving um, at all, <laughs> just so everybody knows. So I have to do something I'm, I'm dreading. Today, we found out that Ken's daughter, who was going to join us, has COVID. So I'm actually going to do this on my own. And so it's like, if I'm not getting it, then I get another opportunity yeah. to get it. And I have to choose again and again, with even less desire for what is. Um, but it almost makes it easier, because it's so clear. The yeah. teaching has become very clear to me, and I am in for it. Um, with all the resistance and the dread and the complaints. Um, yeah, so why I came today is obvious. And here's another one of these nudges of just go, Afra, just go, stop what you're doing and do that. Um, so, yeah. yeah, so thank you so, so much for, and thank you everybody for listening to my story and holding space for it. And you come forward with, in the midst of all of this, also with the light that's coming through you in a quite lovely way. And I just wanted to add a bit of gratitude for you because your connection with uh, uh, Io has blossomed on and on and out and out. The garden has gotten large. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. And uh, let uh, we'll be keeping uh, Ken and everyone yes, in you. you and our hearts and hope things go well. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have Dennis next? Hi, Flynn. There you go. Um, so uh, I had some bells going off in me today, and uh, I, I wrote down the comparison of passive submission to active submission and as active, I would say active surrender is different than passive submission. Oh, do you hear the difference? Feel the difference? 
it's like what Efrat was saying. She's going to not submit, as in, but surrender to, oh. Well, there you have it. You can guess where I was going then, because uh, that's what I that's what I did with it. And uh, sorry to jump ahead of you. No, well, it's uh, that's in brief, probably the thing for me to think about. Yeah, I, I was raised deeply in in a, a, a Jesuit culture that uh, maybe I misunderstood, but it it, it meant to me that. Uh, you know, there was a righteousness in in causing uh, and denying things, and uh, sometimes and causing discomfort, right. and uh, and even a holiness about it. Right. And I had to, as I grew through my out of my teenage years, I had to throw that away and and uh, different ways. Eventually, I came to understand that delaying gratification was a really healthy thing and a maturity that came from it and 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 now i've tried to walk that line but sometimes it just seems it's like having a smoke detector go off and and uh, when i heard her poem uh it my smoke detector was going off like wait a minute you know that's that's a different kind of nobility la 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 you know all this you know mm -hmm. and uh you know that's one of the reasons why she said for most of her life, she had never talked about this stuff because she said uh, it makes people have ideas that she wished they wouldn't have. And that's why I'm trying to be as careful as I can to bring forward the depth of it without all the layers that we tend to add on to it for quite naturally, of course. You know? And especially when we've had backgrounds like you've had in the Jesuits or me uh, in a church that says basically it's sinful to feel pleasure and good to feel denial. You know, you, it's not what she's talking about, but boy, it's easy, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I'm with it. I'm with it. I'm like, wait, you know, so um, I, I'm going to find that podcast and yeah. and, and consider it some more. And, yeah, op open up the whole thing. It's really lovely. So. Okay. Thank I look you. forward to seeing you very soon. Yeah. Now we have Robin and Jim. Um. Efrat and Catherine, I think her name was a beautiful British accent. Thank you for extending Flint's and Jane Hirschfield's offering um, through your stories. Um, I graduated from the chaplaincy program a week and a half ago, and I didn't really have any thoughts about how it, I would feel afterwards. I was working too hard to get ready to leave town to have thoughts about the future. But if someone had asked me, I wouldn't have said that my old friend anxiety would be looking more like depression. Um, and, you know, being out of sorts is so much that cold water and continuing to, um, just before I was able, I had some meetings canceled and I had time to go to the pool where the water is cold and um, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to get in the water. I took a picture of myself at the pool. I thought I was smiling really big for a friend's birthday and I looked at the picture later and there's this huge frown on my face. Um, mm -hmm. But um, 
yeah, the reminder of um, I've been telling myself to just show up and mm -hmm. that both what you offered Flint and what um, Efrat in particular and Catherine um, in particular shared is, is that reminder is that um, and as I'm passing a, a, a person who lives in our neighborhood who um, I guess is trans based on how they dress. Um, anyway, they were cold. The, the cold front came in and they don't wear a lot of clothing and they look very good and they're not a lot of clothing, but um, they were hugging themselves as they were walking and it was all I could do to not pull over and give them my robe, which I was wearing before I going to go swim but I was like I can't, I can't give everything away right now I need to just stay with what I'm doing and just you know send them a bit of love um so there's no point there I just appreciate um yeah this this practice of nothing else has taught me to just stay <clears throat> and your point about continuing just continuing one moment of one period of zazen is hell and the next one is blissful and on and on it goes you know back and forth and you just keep doing it because that is the doing of it and the regularity of it that transforms you over time beyond conditions and also that she didn't point to this she did a little bit but that you're not doing it alone you're in Absolutely. Other people. And, Absolutely. and if you're having that experience it's there's a pretty good chance everyone else is having some version of your experience that's right at some point at some point and that brings great comfort thank you and congratulations also thank you. <laughs> rosemary we're right at the end uh did you want to say something briefly or, or is it no Either way is okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to be quick. So yeah, the um, the beautiful teaching of choosing uh, the unwanted, um, making the unwanted wanted, um, think makes me think of parts, internal parts that we don't exactly don't want those ones. And um, uh, oh, there was another thought to it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That, that was the, that was the main that was the main um, gist of it. Um, and uh, oh, get, there was a question, but we can we can take it another time. But this is the question: When you have perfectionistic tendencies, how do you yeah yeah how do you take teachings like this? It's like oh you know, got this one. Let me you know, and not make it into a self improvement plan. That's a big practice edge for me. So I'll just lay that out there as something to that right. I really need some help with and maybe others do too. Absolutely. It's been a lifelong edge for me about how to be wholehearted rather than perfect. Yeah, it's such a it's such a pressure. Right. That's right. Thank you. And our reminder that we chant together. <clears throat> caught in the self-centered dream only suffering holding to self-centered thoughts exactly the dream each moment life as it is the only teacher 
being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you so much, Flint. And um, if you feel moved to offer Dana, then please do go to the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. And there'll be a little box and you can put in there where you'd like your contribution to go to. So thank you all so much for being here. I'm still working on uh, welcoming time zones and, and changes <laughs> and all that that brings. <laughs> if you'd like to continue to, to share, to meet, Please stay right where you are, pop yourself into gallery view and we'll continue for a further 30 minutes. Thank you all so much for being here. Thank you. <laughs>